show this is aki kumar or the aki kumar trio rather uh one of these mornings with a little walker song uh this is a chicago song chess records there you go there you go we can hear you now johnny um uh, I, I have invoked your name so many times uh we, we've talked with so many international artists it's it's really foundational to uh, to me and to this show um your no border border blues album well, uh, it's really Stephanie's No Border Blues album, so mm-hmm. I'm just a guitar player when it comes to that. But we have a lot of, uh, I mean, I've been touring for such a long time in Europe and yeah, in Japan, yeah. but to, to actually make the leap to put it on an American blues label and shine the spotlight, that was Stephanie's idea. So since Stephanie is here with us, I'm going to go it's ahead, a, it's a It's a great collaboration. Take that mic, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Johnny, for that. No, Johnny was the master of bringing a lot of the musicians together. But I did mm-hmm. live in Japan for a couple years okay. uh, in Tokyo. So I had a little bit of the language element and a love of the culture. But I went in 2018 and he performed all over Japan. And I just came at the end of that and said to him, you know, you really have to come back and make an album. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of how it came about. And then I met Julia Miller. They had just taken over Delmark yeah, uh, Records. Yeah. And I met her at the Chicago Blues Festival kind of for the first time and told her I had come back from Japan mm-hmm. and I had this vision uh-huh. of, um, you know, making an album with Japanese artists. How did you, how did you bump into... Uh, the blues scene there in in Tokyo, or did did you go looking for it? No, I was touring with Johnny at the okay. time, and okay. he was on tour. Okay, and um, I was a DJ at KKCR. Uh-huh. I had a blues show uh-huh. um, for a couple of years in Kauai, uh-huh. um, and so I got into international blues that way. Okay, yeah, okay. and so I had some exposure to it, but not a lot. You know, yeah. I haven't been in the blues scene as. As long as um, I wish I had been, <laughs> I guess. But I was inspired by the musicians. There. Okay, and we're hoping we're hoping for a uh, uh, for a zoom in from uh, from the great Andy Watts, a gunslinger oh, uh, yeah. or a guitar singer rather. Um, and, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> well, pew pew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it was the, the Julia. Being what they are. It was Julia, you know, who kind of encouraged me as a woman producer, and mm-hmm. I was I was like. Can I do this? Yeah. <laughs> this is a huge project. Yeah. And she said, yeah, you know, do it. You know, try to bring the musicians. She gave me some advice. And then I also took some advice from Kit Anderson mm-hmm. um, of Greaseland Studios, uh, how to pull it together, and just went from there. But it was really just the musicians and and Johnny uh, being in the studio that made it work. And uh, it's pre- it was a pretty magical moment for me. I don't, I don't think... A lot of people understand how how vibrant and significant the blues is around the world, mm-hmm. um, and and how and how it's also it's also been um, seamlessly adapted to to local language and culture and perspective. Um, 
I, I, in, in 1993, I, I was stumbling around Belgrade, Serbia, and ran across a, a kid playing, playing guitar with a little amp um, in, uh, in, in downtown Belgrade and um, just singing, singing the blues seamlessly, you know, great, but perfect English. Uh, <laughs> I made the mistake of going up to him and saying, hey, you're really good. Wow. That's, and, and he replied in Serbian that he didn't speak any English, <laughs> uh, but boy, he, but he had it down. He had, he had, and, and this is, this is one thing that, that I'm, I'm always attuned to is, is the energy and the spirit inherent in, in music, um, that if you're, if you're just mimicking or pretending that there's, there's that, there's a deficit in, in energy, um, but he he was he was right on the mark i mean this was this this music was as much a part of him as as the water and the food that he ate and the air that he breathed in in serbia there you guys uh you guys have have uh, have a podcast no border blues in which you talk to to some great artists around the world yeah let johnny talk Okay. More about that. I just want to say one thing, which is like what you're talking about is exactly what the podcast is all about right. in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And you should really write liner notes. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm for hire. Nice side, <laughs> side hustle. There you go. Yeah. So anyway, that's the whole project just kept getting bigger. I mean, we saw yeah. the spirit that these people were bringing. Yeah. And that's what Stephanie responded to saying, we got to make a record out of this. And then that became the podcast, and it was sort of pushed along by the Chicago Blues Camp, mm-hmm. um, where I'm an instructor. And they, they were uh, sponsors. Uh-huh. And that, that helped get it started. And then it's, now it's growing into some, some more things. I'm going to turn it back to Stephanie for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. No Border Blues, as it, it grows and expands the interest. Um, I got interested... I guess you probably know Connor is doing a, a film here, a documentary mm-hmm. film on mm-hmm. the legends of Chicago and Chicago blues. Mm-hmm. 594 miles from Chicago. Right, 594. And he's, you know, interviewed, you know, tail dragger to um, Mary and all these people. And so I, I'm interested in doing a documentary film on No Border Blues starting in Japan next spring. And so that will be the next project of, Interviewing the mesmerized clusters of the world. I'm so excited about that. I love documentaries, and yeah. I think this will be so wonderful. Yeah. We is will it? definitely have yeah. you back in. That's that, that's not me ringing. No, it's that Bill. Is, it's Bill every every that's, Sunday. That's that's actually Andy. Andy yeah. Watts, so. Oh, okay. Okay, a little peek at the Israeli blues scene. Uh, yeah, but I, you know, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Andy here um, to. Uh, to dial into the Zoom via the via the station, uh, or if it's easier, um, he can call zero uh, one uh, is the is the country code eight seven 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 one one fifty six eleven. That's eight seven 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 one one five six one one. So, um, Andy, I hope I hope you heard that, brother, and um, so. There you go. And click. There you go. No, I thought he's <laughs> no. he, he's he's trying he's trying to connect with us. So, um, so you were talking about the uh, the documentary. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of doing a course at NYU right now in filmmaking, and part of it that I'm doing right now is the history of filmmaking, uh-huh. and I'm thinking 
You've raised a lot of questions. Is it important that people understand the lyrics they're singing about? Because a lot of the lyrics in blues, mm -hmm. is, you know, were political statements for mm -hmm. our culture at the time. So although they are singing it perfectly, mm -hmm. are they perfectly understanding where the context of that song right. comes from, from the heart? So you can sound like you're singing the blues, or is that aspect of it really important? Um, are some of the questions I'm asking myself as a potential filmmaker of a documentary film, how important are some of these questions as I go in? Right. Because one of the things that got me started in international blues when I was a DJ is I got a little small video of someone, because I was followed a lot by international artists, mm. and um, it was a guy in Ecuador playing a harmonica um, to a B.B. King album that his dad had gotten when he was in the seventh grade over in the United States and brought back. Mm -hmm. And he had memorized this one song and was playing this harmonica passionately and mm -hmm. beautifully. And I thought, that's what this is about. Right. All these seeds that are planted come from um, a little video or yeah, a, a yeah. CD or a, an album or a cassette <laughs> or, <laughs> or a Super 8 or whatever, and people get inspired. And we, so that's what's interesting. To we've me. got uh, we've got the guitar slinger uh, Andy Watts on Zoom. We're going to go to a break okay. here in a minute. So uh, so I'm going to ask Andy to hold on. Um, and I, I'm playing I'm playing a song called Freedom of Speech. One one of the guests that you had on uh, the No Border No Border Blues um, uh, podcast, which by the way is linked up at our Facebook page, Playtime with Bill Turkan, um, is yeah. is an artist called Ashesh Dangol from. Yes. Uh, from Nepal, right. where where he said blues is like freedom to him. Uh, he uses it for he uses his art for activism, um, and uh, it's that that freedom that freedom of speech um, line is is astoundingly important. I think it is, and it brings me to another point. When I talk to artists, I say, "Have you written a song in your own language?" And they're always perplexed by that. Mm. And in on the No Border Blues, there is one song in Japanese, and I encouraged that. And I had another artist do one in Spanish uh -huh. um, with an album that Johnny did with um, the Kike Gomez. Kike Gomez <laughs> in Spanish. <laughs> Those hombres wanted on Viztone Records. <laughs> and I worked with uh, the Jelly Roll Man in Norway. In Norway, and I said, write one in Norwegian because uh -huh. you know, write it in your own write language because it has. Yeah, because yeah. for me, sometimes when they write it in English, it has the syntax of they have a little dictionary and they're rhyming mm -hmm. love with dove and above and you know things like that, and it gets a little cliche-ish, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, but if they sing in their own language, then. Maybe we don't get it, but what is that all about, too? I mean, there's the a basis of the core of the That's place. an inter mm -hmm. in interesting exploration, and, and we're, we're going to come back here in a minute. Okay. Uh, set up uh, Samurai Harp Attack off of No Border Blues that? for us here a little bit. And we are going to get a song out of you, just so you're not carrying around that guitar for no reason, <laughs> Johnny Bergen. Hey, I'm... If people want me to play, I play. <laughs> if they don't want me to play, I play. We're, we're, we're going to have you play for us here. All right. Bit, but... Um, Samurai Harp Attack. There's there's three fabulous harp players on on this record, mm -hmm. the No Border Blues CD, mm -hmm. and um, I'm just so proud to play with all of them. And they all like worked together. This was very it was totally spontaneous, but it sounds like they worked it all out and planned it all out. And uh, they all have their own. They kind of put like the whole post war 
blues harp history all in one song, and then they had a little chat in Japanese on it. So it's kind of a... I'm, I'm really happy with this one. All right. Uh, let's hear a little bit of uh, Samurai Harp Attack. We're going to take a, a quick break, come back with uh, the guitar slinger Andy Watts, and get his perspective on international blues right after this. You're listening to Playtime with Bill Turk and... Gary Kendall, you didn't get me that time. Oh. <laughs> we'll be right back. Eckhart's Press has been serving Chicago area authors and readers now for more than a decade. We publish more than 70 books through our imprint and help dozens of other authors through the scary maze of self-publishing. If you've written a novel, memoir, or nonfiction book and you aren't sure where to turn now that it's done, Eckhart's Press should be your first stop. Every author has different needs, and we're equipped to handle them all, from traditional publishing, hybrid publishing, and self-publishing. Or if you only need editing, proofreading, interior and cover design, or ebook conversion, go to Eckhart'sPress.com. E-C-K-H-A-R-T-Z Press.com. Farm Forward is helping to change the way our world eats and farms to promote conscientious food choices, reduce farmed animal suffering, and advance sustainable agriculture. We are changing policy, changing farming, and changing the story by working with farmers to build alternatives that put animals, farmers, and communities first. To learn more about Farm Forward's work to end animal suffering and advance sustainable agriculture, visit www.farmforward.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter and find out what you can do to help. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Farm Forward. Now, Chief, what's all the excitement about? You're listening to Smart Talk. You should get a medal for this. 1590 AM and 95.9 FM. This is a big one. And welcome back to the show. Uh, this is Blues of the Month Club by uh, the guitar slinger Andy Watts off of his uh, great, great album, uh, Supergroup. Uh, by the way, a couple quick uh, notifications. Future Fossil Sum uh, by Chicago sculptor uh, Lon Tuazan. Uh 
begins September 7th, runs through November 13th, uh, and that's uh, at the Hyde Park Art Center in Chicago. Uh, I, I would highly recommend people go to it. There are some... Uh, she she invited some students who do some amazing amazing work uh, on the, that has to do with recycling and sustainable living and uh, it, it's it's a brilliant show and, and we'll hear a little bit more about it later on in the show. Also, final final week for Free to Call Timeless. Uh, you can go to theccma.org. Last week, last week. last week, and you're done. Um, so get out there and, and, and get the tickets. In the meantime, uh, Andy Watts, guitarslinger.com, uh, is the website. Uh, Andy Watts, uh, is, uh, is waiting patiently in Israel. How you doing, brother? How you doing, William? Wonderful. It's so good to see you again. I've got Johnny Bergen here, uh, the great Johnny Bergen, and, uh, and Stephanie Tice, the, uh, the producer and, uh, and, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm just going to say it, a blue scholar. <laughs> right on, right on. So that's the common denominator, you see. That's yes. that's it, man. Um, so they they do they do a podcast called No Border Blues. Johnny um, put out a a, a a wonderful wonderful album. We had him had him on uh, right after it came out uh, called No Border Blues that was recorded um, with uh, with blues musicians in Japan, um, and so. That brought up that brought up the the fundamental question of what is it about the blues, which is which is an American quote unquote invention um, that translates so powerfully around the world. I think it's the uh, I think it's the uh, everyone has his own blues, and uh, I feel very fortunate that I'm able to play it. Uh-huh. I think many people would like to do it, and I think everyone has his own blues, and uh, that you can put it in the music form. That's just a, a way. And I, I think also um, what you see recently, and one of the things that I think so makes it global, is that um, avoiding all all kind of maybe as as you heard you spoke previously about. So you see it. I think it's it's true with what people saying that there's a way different expressing it when people use their own native languages. Maybe it has a more powerful message. Yeah. Somehow it seems still, regardless where people are living in this world, that you're coming back to the English. But for some reason, that is the unifying factor. Doesn't mean that it's not great blues in other languages. I heard a lot Indeed. of interesting blues from all around the world. Really, it's you know, it's all about attitude. Attitude goes a long way. You know, Johnny, Johnny made a, during during the break we were having a little bit, a little bit of a back and forth, and and Johnny made a made a great point about needing to get over that we need to get over this this bias of language. I made the point um, because my my wife is uh, is an immigrant um, that that there there is an inherent bias by native listeners of a language to um, to the to uh, to a different cadence um, or or, or foreign foreign cadence that's applied to to a language and and I think that holds true for music um, and as much as as I as I love hearing um, blues sung by um, by people in their native language. Um, I also I also think that there's that there's probably a bias against hearing a foreign language in in some people 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, um, I must say, if if you would, if I would do same album Supergroup, I and made all all that in Hebrew, uh-huh. I presume that I would not be twelve months on the U.S. charts. Right. Uh, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just that's a wild guess. <laughs> but is but, there but, is but, there a, is there a way to is there a way to begin to to turn that ship? And and I'll I'll I'll, I'll throw this question out to, uh, to Stephanie and, and Johnny as well. Um, is there a way to turn that ship? Say um, say with with a with a textured um, uh, lyricism, like um, backup singers who who sing uh, who sing a line in in Hebrew behind uh, the the English lead. Definitely, yeah. because I think if you do everything is fusion today. One of the things that I'm yeah. looking at the yeah. blues today. If you look at the blues artists, blues today for me. I mean, you you, you heard my album. I, it's not traditional blues. It's blues in it, but it's also some psychedelic. Mm-hmm. It's some rock and roll. Yeah. I think the fusion is the way to go for the blues to reinvent themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's a challenge for the blues to to uh, invite a younger audience. So you have to to somehow widen the audience. I think it's very important for the to, to the blues to be relevant to to reinvent themselves. Now, for example, what you mentioned, fusion also not only total music but also mixing languages in it. I think that it's yeah. it's something that is yeah. done, but it's something you can always experiment. But that's going to always work. You know? Precisely, precisely. Uh, Stephanie and, and Johnny, I'd, I'd love you guys to weigh in on that a little bit. Well, it's also record companies taking the risk of producing it, and mm-hmm. I think Julia in the beginning was very encouraging. Do this project. Um, and bring it to me when you're done. Mm-hmm, and having, mm-hmm. we had debate about having a song in Japanese on there and how people would react. Mm-hmm. And so you need, you know, you need the production end of people that produce these and get things out, willing to take right. risks on albums and maybe not coming out with a whole album in Japanese, but having that yeah. one element in there um, and having it accepted and played was really important. So I think, I think you need support all along a different lot of, levels. Sorry, a lot of American labels don't give the audience enough credit for mm-hmm. one. Yep. And sort yeah. of like what he was saying about liner notes, I think we all would love to see, oh, here's the English translation. Mm-hmm. This is a song, I love this. What are they saying? Here's what it says in the original language and here's what it says in English. We love mm-hmm. that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, but I really think that the big corporations really don't give us enough credit. Yeah, you know, and and I'll throw this out. I'll throw this out to Andy in in Israel um, first. But uh, the the whole marketing strategy for music has changed now. We get a lot more artists yeah. now who are uh, who are putting out singles rather than full albums because because that's where the download audience is. Mm-hmm. Andy, your thoughts? I, I think that this is true. I, I might be old school on that because I'm looking on the music as an album, as a fulfillment. It's yeah. a journey, yes. it's a project itself. It has to have a concept. And, yeah. and the, the most challenging, I'm, by the way, working on my next album. The challenging thing we do in an album is to reinvent yourself, but still keeping the music a guideline and still having the sound that people hear it, they still recognize it, that you have your musical identity. So it's reinventing yourself, keeping your musical identity. I tend to agree with you. Uh, I think a little bit of that is also a little bit of everything is moving faster. The wheels are turning faster. You yeah, have a lot of reality yeah. shows. Everyone wants their 50 minutes of fame, and that's the time, and you have only this thing, and they're going to help it. The problem is if you have this um, 
one hit wonder you have to have an album gives you the meat because it gives the audience feeling to understand the the, the artist what are you doing what is when you do a cover which a lot of blues is based on cover and that's how you do it Mm -hmm. but the mortal mistake is to make copy paste no no you have to put your own soul and your own identity in it that's what people want to hear yeah i agree with you man i hear you on that uh, I'm I'm going to connect you guys because I think I think you 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 guys would be brilliant together and and maybe do a No Border Blues with with Andy Watts. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the uh, what, when is the album the new album coming out, brother? I'm working hard on it, and and I, I don't the thing the thing that in music can be very rewarding and very frustrating. Uh-huh. It's like Hendrix said, even when you want to break a guitar, and he was working hard, to, he, he broke a few. He said, <laughs> "Never give up, because you'll be rewarded." So you have to go in steps. Sometimes when you, I'm at the moment looking at. I have the songs written. Uh-huh. I have the. I feel the concept is right. I'm working on which instrument to use which vocals i want to do yeah, which guitars yeah. to use the attitude you know when you play guitar it's about the attitude which attitude you want to do it you know how you want to a really lot get to into consider it, yeah your flow. yeah and, and i don't think people think about i don't i don't think people people really think that that much about about all the considerations that go into uh into the creation of an album uh you were wonderful for it's almost 10 o'clock there so so thank you thank you thank you um we, we don't get to get to to speak with you enough uh we'll work on changing that can't wait to hear the uh, the new album but people can go to andy watts guitar slinger.com um and uh there, there's there's not a bad uh, a bad album in the bunch brother um you're, you're doing some great work Thank you, brother. And thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. And you are a culture warrior, William. Keep doing that. We're, <laughs> we're, we're in the fight together. We've got, uh, we got Johnny Bergen here, who's brought his guitar, so we, we're going to have him play us out of, uh, of the segment awesome. here. What are you going to play for us, brother? Okay, uh, I'm going to do, um, do a, a blues tune that's on No Border Blues. It's an Elmore James tune called Sunny Land. And it was a real nice showcase um, for a great harp player, Kaz, on the record, but I'm going to do the solo version today. Cause couldn't make it today. Um, So anyway, Johnny Bergen, Johnny Bergen.com. Thanks for that. Okay. (laughs) Seem like I heard. That lonesome sunny land blow Seem like I heard That lonesome sunny land blow You know what blows just like It won't be back no more Yeah, I feel so bad this morning Feel just like I want to cry Feel so bad this morning 
like I want to cry My baby caught that train this morning And she didn't even say goodbye You know what? That was perfect because we oh, just went, went to break. Thank you, Andy. You were wonderful. Was that you on tambourine? No, that was me. Oh, okay. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I was I was like, wow, we're we're. <laughs> that was just me over here with my bell. <laughs> truly multinational blues. <laughs> right on. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Thank, oh, it was it was it was fantastic. Um, we got to get you guys back. There's more more oh. to talk about. More to talk about. That's a great song. Thanks. Wow. It sounds good on the. I was so proud of the way those guys played it. We we are we are covering we are covering the musical world today. We got uh, Jimmy Waldo's here for uh, from Alcatraz and Blackthorn, and so we're covering covering the metal metal side, and uh, and we it's it's a very eclectic show. It's all about great music. So surprising that I could love somebody. I deserve somebody, meet someone nice out there. I knew somehow to recognize you, your body, mind, and soul, like a home I've never been before. And that's how I know I'm in love. That's how I know I'm in love. That's how I know. And this is a new song, In Love, from our musical ninja friend, Moise Rakeman, who just writes a great song, comes out of nowhere, drops it, disappears again. Oh, it's wonderful. He's so great. Uh, this is sung by uh, Ninyaz and uh, Mo Sabak, uh, both members of the local Jetta music scene. we, we got to get He's got to get us over there. I love her voice. She's I thought that was Carbon Lily for a second. She's, she's great, isn't she? Oh, she's um, She was born in Khartoum, Sudan in 1994, already making me feel old. Uh, and raised in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And Yaz's singing career um, began when she was just five years old and sang and performed on a flight to New York from Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. She was encouraged to do so by her grandfather when she asked why uh, some of the people on the plane looked so sad. 
<laughs> uh, Nunez was influenced by uh, by the music her grandfather played around the house, which essentially included the likes of Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, The Temptations, Diana Ross, Aretha Franklin, and Nina Simone. I can I can wow. hear it. I can hear it. Yeah, yeah. Um, her more modern influences would be Alicia Keys, Lauryn Hill, and of course Rihanna. Uh, Ninaz is a sister in sound with a radio show at uh, Saudi Radio SRFM, uh, the Saudi Kingdom's only English language station. Ninaz can be found and reached on Instagram. This is a project for you, Kendall. Yes, sir. Uh, via I will via find the handle. Her, I will follow her. There you go. There we at go. Ninazia, uh, and I'll spell that N I N Y A Y A Z A. Yeah. Uh, A-Z-A-Z-I-A and that link is up on our Facebook page at Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall and if you like the gentleman singing in this it's uh, Mo at Music Mo uh, M-O-E mm-hmm. uh, a great great song uh, hey you know what we've got uh, and since we don't have the um, we've got the new uh, the new ABBA song okay and uh, I almost stepped between two rabid Abba fans here. You almost got jumped is what happened. You, you almost you, just got you molly whomped. And, and Jimmy Jimmy Waldo. That's right. Yes. So I I'm we're, we're gonna play this <laughs> and, and get everybody's reaction. Okay. Now it's quiet, so I guess they left the park. This wooden bench is getting harder by the hour. The sun is going down, it's getting dark. I realize I'm cold. The rain begins to pour. As I watch the windows on the second floor The lights are on, it's time to go It's time at last to let him know I guess I'm getting uh, getting getting a thumbs up here from uh, from the two the two ABBA fans in the room, correct? Yeah, I mean it's ABBA for sure. Yeah. yeah. Get him, get, yeah. him on a, get a mic for this man over here. There we go. I love their voices. Uh huh. Always have, but uh, I think it's Benny and Bjorn. Mm-hmm. I think the two producer writers. Oh, here we go. It's kicking in now. Now it's having that, the, getting that ABBA sound. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bill thought he was going to drag us into some real ABBA crap talking. And guess what, Bill? Backfire. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Yeah. Backfire. Okay, and I'm going to really mess you up. All right, go for it. <laughs> I love the Carpenters. I love Karen yes! Carpenter. I, I, am, I am a total, I mean, total Carpenters fan. I was Karen Carpenter. I, I just idolized her, and I got to hang out with her in New York when I wow. lived in New York for a little while Aww. in a studio just before she passed yeah and she was just doesn't get nicer yeah. sweeter person yeah yeah and i was trying to be cool just the two of us in this lounge at a studio she had hours to kill so she was just kind of bored and uh, my girlfriend at the time was a production assistant uh-huh. so she was working in the studio and mm-hmm. i was just sitting there with karen just oh, dead so quiet cool. studio just for like off and on the whole day i love that I, l- I love that story i love oh, knowing man, that about jimmy was, waldo uh, she was amazing. I just love her voice. Mm-hmm. 
Nice. ABBA, I was a huge, still am. Yeah. I can't, I'm going to get this new record. And and, and you, you were saying that you wore out the uh, I did. The cassette? I literally had a cassette <laughs> and I took it on, I had it on the road in New England. Uh-huh. And I was playing, I was an idiot. I carried around a boom box. <laughs> so you did know, I. We're yeah. on tour. We, we all did. Uh, we were <laughs> on the tour bus with my boom box in the hotel room. And, yeah. And, uh, but, oh my God. I just, I'd listen to ABBA, and people would come in my room and go, hey, man, you know, let's get fucked up, you know? Okay. And I would be like, oh, sorry. Radio. <laughs> take that back. Okay. Um, you know, and and I would say, yeah, 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 well, just let me finish this song. And they'd be like, what are you listening to? <laughs> See, and, and we'll, we'll bring this up when we, when we, uh, we have a, a more in-depth conversation here in, in just a little bit, um, but I, I, I would have thought, like, Carrie Livgren from, from Kansas was was an influence on some of your work uh i love carrie's writing and his i knew him we yeah. toured together wow so played some other gigs with him later on in alcatraz okay we, we opened for carrie's band in puerto rico of all places no kidding and i didn't know it was him i didn't we got to puerto rico and Hold hold that story oh, yeah, okay. because yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I want I want that story because we're gonna play some play sure, some music sure, that, sure, sure, from sure. from Alcatraz. It's yeah, I got of, a big sure. mouth, so I'll just keep no going. no gotta, no. That, you have to shut me off. That's, a, that's don't a, forget that's Johnny Bergen. Great tease. Johnny Bergen's got got an announcement. Um, not the least of which is uh, his, his his thoughts on uh, the Ob, the new Abbas song. Oh. <laughs> uh, you wanted to make a uh, make an announcement about a gig you got coming up, brother. That'd be great. Um, I'm here in the Midwest for a month. Yeah. And my only Chicago show is Epiphany on September 24th, wow. Friday at 7.30. So hope to see some of you there. Okay. Great. Uh, I, I will, we'll, we'll make sure that we get that up on our Facebook page um, so that uh, so that people can connect with you. My, my old bandmate Rick Crayer will, will be with me. Uh, it's sort of a, a nice... Uh, Reuniting for that, and he was uh, Muddy Waters' last rhythm guitar player. He's yeah. in he's in the movie yep. uh, Muddy Waters and the Rolling Stones live wow. at the Checkerboard, and uh, I'm going to have Minoru Maruyama, who's featured on No Border Blues. He'll he'll join in. Nice. So it's going to be nice. a blues party at Epiphany Friday, September 24th. All right. Wonderful. wonderful. Thanks for letting me get that in. Man. Yes, Johnny absolutely. Johnny Bergen, you're you're incredible, man. Thank you, thank you so much, and and, and we're we're big fans. Not not the least of which is is you're you're actually doing what we what we we try to promote on this mm-hmm. show is sort of this international sense of 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 the arts and culture and and all that and mm-hmm. making the world a, a smaller more accessible place through the arts and culture. Absolutely. The feeling is mutual. Keep fighting the good fight. Yes. that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Uh, and and I will connect you, by the way, with uh, with Andy Watts. That uh, and and then you, you you let me know when you have that conversation um, at No Border Blues, the uh, the podcast, uh, which is linked up at our Facebook page. And um, we'll do. All right. Thank you again, right, and, and please, you, please thank Stephanie for us as well. Hey, we're, we, we've got uh, we've got the great Jimmy Waldo coming up here in just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, this off of uh, the Blackthorn uh, reissue. This is Afterlife. We'll be right back right after this.
Well, I guess we started that segment loudly, didn't we? <laughs> I guess so. Hey, welcome back to the show. You're listening to Playtime with Bill Turk and... Carrie Kendall. Um, the, and that was supposed to be Paper Flags. Oh, uh, oh he's but, not listening to us. He's enjoying our, his, his cake. He doesn't even have his cans on. Yeah, he's, a, he's smart. <laughs> <laughs> right. He has his fingers actually actively in his ears. Come here for the cake and the cold beer and then, and then get off. <laughs> and tune us out. <laughs> <laughs> when keyboardist Jimmy Waldo and bassist uh, Gary Shee uh, formed Alcatraz with ex-Rainbow singer Graham Bonnet in 1983, they had just spent five years recording and touring with New England. Bonnet uh, had just left the Michael Shanker group uh, to Together, their goal was to combine the guitar-driven uh, rock Bonnet had done with MSG on Assault Attack uh, with New England's prog, uh, prog rock overdriven uh, Hammond B3 organ. What what What's an overdriven Hammond B3? Um, well, I had a... you know what a Leslie speaker is? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I had custom Leslie's I kind of built myself. Took uh-huh. a Leslie and gutted it. <clears throat> And used uh, guitar amplifiers. Okay. Instead of the Leslie amplifier, and so I could use. Then I'm I'm like guitar. I could use fuzz boxes and wah wahs or whatever. But basically, I just like a really dirty Hammond sound. Always like that sound. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Like I, like like the 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 born to be wild. Uh, um, yeah, even before kind of that. Okay. I mean, my influences are. I'd show my age if I tell you my influences, but. Uh, Oh, I know I know a lot here. about 30s and 40s music, so um, <laughs> well, I, th- I think you can cover it pretty well by okay, by uh, those older references. Soft Machine, yeah. Okay, yeah. M- Mike Ratledge, the keyboard player in a Soft Machine, yeah. That's the kind of sound he he had. Okay, that's the first time I heard a really dirty organ. This guy played a Lowry Holiday organ through uh, amplifiers. Uh huh. And I used to think he did it because he thought it was cool and that's what he wanted. They did it because they didn't have anything else. Uh, the band wasn't rich, mm-hmm. and uh, they didn't have anything else, so he had what he had to work with. And they were jazzers, and I wasn't really into the jazz, the jazz aspect of it, but, oh, my God, his playing was incredible, and it was this really nasty, dirty, distorted organ. Mm. And I loved that. Uh, any, any, any songs that, uh, that you use that on with the, that you think... Um you, you think exemplify that best in in, in the sound for well on the on the uh, or um, not on Blackthorn okay you can't hear it on there it's back in the mix okay um, um, Graham Bonnet band there's a couple of songs uh, the last Alcatraz uh-huh. record before the one that's coming out uh-huh. and in the one that's coming out there's a lot of it on there. Um, which uh, that that last that last album was uh, I I, th- I think that's my that's my favorite Alcatraz album. Oh wow! Oh, it, it's it, it's 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 beautifully paced. Uh, it's beautifully produced. It, oh, it's man. just a wonderful song after song after song. Thank you, thank um, you. Just you guys just nailed it. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Worked hard on that one. Um, that so was a hard record to make. I, I want to go back because I, I wanted to start off with this, and we were talking a little bit uh, about uh, about Carrie Livgren from uh, from Kansas, um, and and I thought that this song, um, "Paper Flags," which you wrote, right. uh, really kind of showcased you as as a heavy metal um, <laughs> keyboardist. So right. let's listen to this for just a second. 
That song will wake you up on a Sunday. I think so. Uh-huh. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but am, am I wrong hearing a little bit of uh, a little bit of Kansas keyboard in there? Well, I, I wasn't honestly. Which came first, the the Alcatraz or the Kansas? Well, <laughs> I mean, I heard we toured with Kansas yeah. in New England. Yeah. So that's where I met Kerry and uh-huh. uh, his music. I mean, I loved his writing and I loved the band. Yeah, yeah. So I was influenced some, but mostly not so much by Kansas. Yeah. yeah. Or, I mean, it, it's just it's just a, just a great driving sound. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Carrie and I share the same. Uh, <laughs> when when we played with them, he was real curious about my organ sound. Then uh-huh, uh-huh. he came out on stage at sound checks and he'd be like, "What are you doing? What is that?" Uh-huh. So the Leslie was really distorted and everything. So, uh, is uh, is is there a rock and roll spirit, man? A pardon? Is there a rock? <laughs> is there a rock and roll spirit? Because because when you when you said that, I, I was kind of thinking that um, that the two of the the two of you guys, um, and, and I'm thinking of other great keyboardists uh, as well, or just rock rockers in general, that that you 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 kind of shared a, a similar, if unspoken, philosophy about uh, about rock and roll keyboarding. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he he uh, he was a real key, what I call a real keyboard player. I mean, uh-huh. he played guitar, and he was an excellent guitar player. But he had the mentality when he played keyboards and wrote. He played it like he meant it, not like uh, there's a lot of writers that'll play keyboards yeah. to support their writing. Yeah, yeah. Kerry did that, but he played him like a keyboard player, not like a writer who plays keyboards. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. It absolutely does. Yeah, and, it does. In in Kansas, he was uh, was a great. I mean, you know, Steve Walsh was great and did what he did great. Yeah. But they both together, it was really killer. It was it was, it was an incredible sound. Yeah. You guys, you guys have an incredible sound as well. And and live. So I, I wanted to play this. See if you recognize this song. That's uh, Ohio Tokyo from right. uh, the live, and the measure of a band to me is is how is how they can reproduce their sound live. Uh, you guys are exceptional on stage. Well, some songs were better than others, but uh, we worked hard at it. Yeah, I mean, as a yeah. keyboard player, I was fanatical about wanting to make it as close to the record as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if I yeah. couldn't. Then I would I would just go off. Then I would say, okay, so I'm not going to be able to too many overdubs in the studio, and I can't duplicate that. Mm-hmm. Right. So forget duplicating it. Mm-hmm. Then, then bring something else to the party, kind of thing. You know, that, that, that's a bit of an unusual philosophy for a lot of a lot of artists who 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 feel that once they get in the studio. The, you know the the tech gloves are off, and and I can layer and rework, rework and play and. It, it, Bites me in the ass. Uh, yeah, has bitten me in the ass because yeah. in New England, uh, everybody was they loved Mellotrons and Hammond and yeah. everything. So I was doing a lot of layering, 
And that sounded great, and everybody's getting off on it. And then we went into rehearsals to do it live, and I'm like, how am I going to possibly play all this live? <laughs> and the funny thing is, I mean, I managed to pull it off pretty good. It was, it was acceptable. But the best show that we ever did for, if you listen to the show and you go, how did they do that? Mm-hmm. And it was just the four of us, was the Park West in Chicago. Oh, wow. We, we did a live broadcast from the Park West. No kidding. Yeah. What, and, what year was that? Uh, 79. Uh, it was a little bit. I, I used to used to live right across the street from the Park West. Wow. And, a, and when they'd open up the backstage doors or the, the, the back mm-hmm. doors, I could sit up on the roof and Amazing listen to club. great concerts. So we have a – it's on a New England uh, compilation record that's out. Okay. But it was a cassette we had from that broadcast that sounded pretty crappy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And some of the guys in the band didn't want to put it out because it sounded bad. But I said, you can hear the music. All the people that want to hear it, they don't care about the quality of the cassette. Yeah. Right. They just want to hear the songs, the music. Yeah. And we we really pulled it off live. The vocals were good, which was, that was scary. We tried it. <laughs> None of us were amazing singers. So three-part harmony. We did the best we could, and uh, that night we were just on. It was just the band was just rocking. One of those magical yeah. moments. Yeah. Right? yeah, it was really on. So I'll never. I always remember that night, and we we played the show. And, and I remember I thought about that show after that for mm-hmm. weeks. Mm-hmm. I thought, God, we could play like that every night. We'd be great, and we <laughs> had good nights. I mean, we're a pretty consistent band, but. That was certainly a. We're gonna we're gonna switch gears here in uh, in just a couple minutes and talk about the uh, the new Blackhorn the- uh, CD uh, or the re-release uh, of the CD and some of the great extras that are on there. Right. Uh, but uh, you've got a new album coming out October fifteenth for yes. Alcatraz. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to ask you this: what what why did you leave Alcatraz um, after after the first couple albums? And then what what enticed you to come back? Well, I didn't leave. The band broke up. Okay. And then uh, we got back together. Uh-huh. Um, well, we did our first record in several years, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really the... Graham had gone off and done a, a version of Alcatraz with some other guys. Mm-hmm. It was not Alcatraz. It was, it was uh, kind of embarrassing. You guys are headed to, uh, to England and the, uh, the British yeah, Isles? Yes, in, for a tour uh, in the... November. November, December, yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, this is uh, this is off the new album. Five. Maybe? The yeah. fifth record. The yeah. fifth, yeah. Oh. Uh, but uh, and, and the link to that is up at our Facebook page at Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall. Uh, this is Sword of Deliverance. We'll be right back with more Jimmy Waldo right after this. <clears throat>
All right, welcome back to the show. You're listening to Playtime with Bill Turk and... Gary Kendall. Uh, that's Don't Kill the Thrill from a great new re-release uh, by Blackthorn. Blackthorn is an American hard rock project. I took this from Wikipedia because I was running late. <laughs> uh, invo- <laughs> that involved Bob, Bob Kulik on guitar. i, I got to be honest. Uh, Graham Bonnet uh, on vocals, Frankie Benali on drums, and Jimmy Waldo on keyboards, and Chuck Wright on bass. The group released the, uh, their album Afterlife in 1993. Uh, we were having some beers and talking music uh, and metal with the aforementioned Jimmy Waldo, that part is mine. I, I didn't get that off of Wikipedia. I like that word mentioned thing. Uh-huh. That was uh-huh. cool the way uh-huh. you kind of looked at it. Well, you know, we, 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 for all the lawyers that listen to the show. Yeah, so. well, you got to make that legal. I mean, I get it. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you because you, 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 do, you do a great se- series of videos uh, that I caught on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> and one of those was uh, you were having, uh, you were talking about going out for, for beers one night uh, with, uh, with the late, great. Uh, Ronnie James Dio, yes, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we we had we had Carmen a piece uh, on the show a while ago, and they did they did a, a, a really um, incredible um, tribute to to Ronnie, and uh, but I, I'm astounded everything I've heard about him um, sort of takes you away from from this this mystical. Um, cartoonish idea of of a heavy metal rock icon and brings him down to earth and and he was a really a, a really genuinely wonderful guy. He he was. We worked together. We did a uh, Wendy Dio managed Alcatraz and Ronnie obviously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Wendy came to me one day. I mean, I knew Ronnie. I'd met him. We rehearsed in this building that they owned, and so I knew him. We never worked together, and uh, so Wendy came to me one day and said, "You got to do me a favor. Ronnie's got to record this demo of one of her bands, uh-huh. and uh, he needs help because he's not a real engineer kind of guy. He's okay, but she goes, you just need you two guys together because I do a lot of that, you know. Oh god, and I'm like, well, sure, no problem. So <laughs> went up to Ronnie's house, and uh, he had a he had a kind of a studio in his downstairs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh vocal booths in a well a vocal thing not room not quite that about this size mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just a bedroom that was he'd used for vocal booths so uh we were gonna do everything down there we had a little recorder and stuff and and we uh we worked down there mm-hmm. so we would work most of the day mm-hmm. and then uh he and i would go out at night he always wanted to go to the pub so <laughs> we would uh he had a really beautiful mercedes that wendy gave him uh-huh. but he loved this little jeep this wow. old jeep that he had so we'd get in that jeep and drive <laughs> up ventura boulevard i don't know if you've been to, like uh what to compare it to in chicago yeah, I've been to, yeah. uh, a four-lane busy uh street yeah yeah not a freeway but a street mm-hmm. and um Ronnie, Ronnie driving that Jeep, and of course we we hadn't been drinking when we left his house, <laughs> so we drive up to the pub, uh-huh. and we get to the pub, and then we drink Guinness until they throw us out. <laughs> so then coming home was fun in the Jeep, <laughs> and he used to scare the hell out of me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, now he was a really really cool guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I don't know what else to say about him. He just was the coolest 
guy, and we yeah. always had fun. We just talk. We'd go to the pub and talk, and we talk about everything. You know, we mm-hmm. didn't just talk about music or stuff like that. So um, it's a loss, but you know, he he left such a mark. Oh man, <laughs> and he he, I I think I think for for every generation to follow. Uh, for for heavy metal and and heavy metal vocalists, um, he's the standard. You know what? He is as as heavy metal, but as a singer, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, anybody that any singer, I don't care what you're doing, yeah. what kind of music you're doing, any any pop rock singer, in, in a perfect world, if they could have hung out with Ronnie, yeah, and learned from him, yeah, believe me, they'd be a better singer for it. Ronnie was a great singer. Wow. Uh, everybody thinks of him as this heavy metal guy, and he obviously probably my favorite heavy rock singer of all time. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a great about point. Three, but Ronnie just an incredible singer. It's like Freddie Mercury was that way. Freddie Mercury yes. could sing anything. Yeah. He was yeah. a singer and blow you away. And you, you know, to hang out with him for a couple of days as a singer. Just the power and the range of those guys was wow, was, incredible. Was, was exceptional. But Ronnie, we we were working and and uh, we were waiting on the band to show up one day. Yeah, that we were going to record and yeah. and we had a there was a vocal mic in the room, uh-huh. and I asked Ronnie. I said, "Could you go in and get me a level so I can get the headphones together?" You know, and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." So he goes in, gets on the mic, and I've got the headphones on, um, and I'm just. I'm just, I'm on techno, you know, I'm like, okay, uh, give me some level. And he goes, check, check. And I'm getting some level on the board, you know? And I said, so just sing something loud so I can get a top level. Uh-huh. <laughs> he starts singing foreigner songs. That's, that's and, so And crazy. I mean, the guy is blowing the walls off the place. Yeah. In a good way. Not yeah. just, scre- he's not screaming. This right. is just pure, unadulterated vocal. This Liberty. is like. You didn't record any of that, did you? No. This is what you want to hear. And I love, no bigger fan of Lou Graham than myself and Ronnie. Ronnie loved him as well. So no slight to Lou, but Ronnie was just, it was off the hook. And this is like 11 o'clock in the morning. We'd had a couple of cups of tea, but he wasn't, neither one of us was totally awake. Uh And he just walks up to the mic and just, bam. Wow. And he's singing these songs and I'm just, I'm losing it. You know, I'm like, oh my God. God, this guy's, <laughs> and I'm turning levels down. Uh-huh. I got input levels cranked down. I had to go in and put a pad on the mic. I He was blowing me out of the room. <laughs> and I said, well, the singer coming in, we're going to have to turn it all back up again because he ain't going to have that kind of power. Right. So Ronnie was, and then he did some blues scatting and stuff. And Wow. Ronnie wow. could, and I'm not kidding you, speaking of ABBA, Ronnie could get on stage with ABBA uh-huh. if he knew the song. Uh-huh. I guarantee you. And bring something to the party. You, yeah. You'd go, wow, this guy, this guest is amazing. He's singing with her, singing her harmonies, and yeah. Ronnie's that guy. He could he could have sung anything. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, about Blackthorn. Uh, you guys, um, every every musical project for for the band members um, answers either either addresses a. a an issue or something that, that they feel is missing, uh, or or it, uh, it 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 solves it solves a, a a musical problem that they wanted they wanted to explore. What what did Blackthorn do for you and Graham Bonnet? Um, what what were you what were you looking to achieve um, that you couldn't from say Alcatraz? Um, I wanted to do a heavier record. 
uh, coming out of Alcatraz, okay. I wanted to go heavier. Yeah. And uh, and that's what we did. Bob and I were on the same page. Uh-huh. I'd known Bob for years and years. We talked about this a lot. And I knew Bob's guitar playing. That's the kind of player he was, kind yeah. of writer he was. Yeah. So when we wrote together, mm-hmm. that's the direction we went was heavier. And you, you, you couldn't have gone heavier with within the context of Alcatraz? or uh, No. Okay. Not okay. really. Okay. Alcatraz was a, a different animal. Yeah. Uh, just kind of, I yeah. mean, once Ingbe left, um, our direction changed a bit. Mm-hmm. And Steve Vai, it, uh, loved that Steve Vai record. It was great working with him, and he's amazing. Yeah. Um, it, it's too bad he couldn't have stayed because we would have ended up being a, it would have been really cool. It would have been amazing because the band was great live with Steve, and uh, that would have been really cool. We've got uh, this is this is a little bit of of afterlife uh, live unplugged, and we're going to come back and talk about this in just a second here. There, there are some really neat extras on this on this CD. This is this is one of. Uh, one of them, and I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, at the at the CD here. Um, you've got you've got some live stuff. You've got some demo stuff, um, some unreleased stuff. Yeah. Um, what uh, what was what was the impetus for for the re-release uh, and the expansion for for all these extras? Uh, I wanted to see Afterlife get put out okay. again. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I just love the record. It's- and right. and I just thought it would it holds up and it has a place yeah. out there and there's yeah. people who would enjoy it, uh, but all the other stuff I had in my garage. Every other thing on there was on a tape in my garage. So uh, <laughs> my our manager Giles Lavery, who's our manager now, um, was staying with. We were doing the Alcatraz record, and uh, he was staying with me in California. So we were getting ready to move. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We were a couple of months away from move. So I'm trying to clean my garage out. It was a disaster. So Giles is in there looking. He goes, what's in this box? What's in that box? And I'm like, I don't know. And he goes, well, what's all this stuff here? Mm-hmm. And it said Blackthorn on it, cassettes and dat tapes and CDs and all kinds of stuff. And I said, well, that's old Blackthorn demos, I guess. You know, I guess. Bob and I <laughs> recorded all the time. So Giles... Took that box in the house, and he just lived with that box for a couple of months. Wow. Just picking through it and listening to versions with a cassette deck and my dat player and a CD player, just piecing together stuff. And then there was some 16-track half-inch mm-hmm. that we'd done demos on, and we had to have that baked yeah, and uh, transferred into Pro Tools. So I picked through all that. So we went through all this material, but Giles really was the archiver. I have and, no uh, idea how, how you made made the choices you made, um, but it, it's it's a great it's a great double CD. Well, there. Thank you. Um, you got to come back and, and hang with us again, man. Maybe after the tour. Yeah. You know. Sure. I live here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I can live here, brother. Yeah, come, come come back anytime. Uh, you, you let me know. I'll, I'll make sure I have cold beer. Um, <laughs> okay. You got enough beer? I'm good. There's more over there. Just I'm in, good. Just in case. There's more cakes uh, here. <laughs> Jimmy Waldo, the uh, the album is an expanded double Afterlife CD from back uh, from Blackthorn. Uh, the uh, the link is up on our Facebook page with Playtime with Bill Turk and Gary Kendall. Uh, we'll be right back with the hidden history of the song and 50 years of Who's Next. Yay! We'll be right back after this. Hey. Go, 
Teenage Wasteland, the opening track from the Who's Who's Next album. The album was released 50 years ago in August 1971. You probably have never heard this version. That's an early demo recorded by Who guitarist Pete Townsend. In fact, the song was never intended to be part of a compilation album, but instead was the opening track for an ambitious project by Townsend as a follow-up to the band's 1969 rock opera, Tommy. The seed for what would become Who's Next began to take place much earlier. It grew from Townsend's art school readings of the Islamic philosopher and musician Imyat Khan. Khan believed there was a connection between musical sound and vibration and the human spirit. Take that, Taliban. <laughs> Later, Townsend, Townsend would connect that with uh, experiences during the Tommy tour. I've seen moments in Who gigs, Townsend recalled, where the vibrations were becoming so pure that I thought the whole world was just going to stop. The whole thing was just becoming so unified. Track three, Love Ain't For Keeping. If you're keeping score, we are playing the tracks in order. Townsend believed that the vibrations could become so pure that the audience would dance themselves into oblivion. Their souls would leave their bodies and they would be in a type of heaven, a permanent state of ecstasy. The only reason this did not happen at Who Gigs was because there was a knowledge in the listeners' minds that the show would end and everyone would wake up and go to work the next morning. Singer Roger Daltrey was intrigued. If we do find the meaning of life, Daltrey said, recalling the ambitious project, it will be a musical note. Ambitious indeed. Lifehouse, a musical movie, was born. Track four, 
My Wife, written by bassist John Entwistle. It was the only song on the Who's Next not written for Lifehouse. In Lifehouse, Townsend conceived of a polluted world in which people existed, exist inside life suits, fed, maintained, and entertained by the government. The main character, Bobby, is a hacker and creator of Lifehouse, where the participants' personal data are converted into music to find their song to liberate them. Surrounded by the authorities, Bobby strikes a note from the combination of everyone's song. The authorities storm Lifehouse, the note rings out, and everyone is liberated from their life suits to disappear in musical rapture. The song is over It's all behind me it was too ambitious, and Townsend almost suffered a nervous breakdown. But the pieces for Who's Next were all in place. The band began recording in April 1971 for a mad pace ahead of the album's release in August that same year. They chose Glenn Johns to produce Who's Next. Johns had engineered or produced many of rock's greatest, including Faces, Bob Dylan, Led Zeppelin, and the Rolling Stones, to name just a very few. I'm singing this note because it fits in well Cards I'm playing. I can't pretend there's any meaning hidden in the things I'm saying, but I'm in tune. A cornerstone of the album is, of course, Keith Moon's iconic drumming style, both technically and visually. Keith's sense of humor informed his drumming, but also led, along with copious amounts of alcohol and amphetamines, to destructive behavior. On August 23, 1967, Moon, celebrating his birthday at a Flint, Michigan Holiday Inn, caused $24,000 in damages. The melee only ended when Michigan police arrived with guns drawn. Moon would record three more albums with the band before his untouched timely, if predictable, death on September 6, 1978. Many believe that Who's Next represented Moon's very best. What about those iconic synthesizers? What Townsend was aiming to achieve in Lifehouse was to write music that could be adapted to reflect the personalities of the audience. Pete Townsend programmed and played synthesizers in a way never conceived before. Simple chords, but harmonically complex, recorded to a four-track tape player, which made concert playback at times an iffy and sometimes disastrous process. The synthesizers created a whole new sound. Entwistle's bass sound is credited to the flat pick sound from Zeppelin's John Paul Jones, who adopted the sound from Walk the Walker Brothers. No one knows what it's like to be hated, to be faded, to telling only lies. Who's Next was immediate success when it released on August 14, 1971. It has since been viewed by many critics as the Who's best album and one of the greatest albums of all time. It still holds up to the test of time and at times seeming only too prophetic. Inspired by an early 20th century Sufi mystic and interpreted by an art school student through the prism of life on the rock and roll stage. The lesson here for parents is don't send your kids to art school unless you're willing for them to risk conceiving a crazy idea that turns into a groundbreaking album. Hey, thanks to all of our guests today. 
Andy Watts, Johnny Bergen, Stephanie Tice, the great Jimmy Waldo. Carrie Kendall, get us home. Remember, always make time to play. Everything about bags except one thing, the way the points can cancel out. I don't know why when I sink all four of my hard-earned bags in the hole, my points are taken away because of my opponent's performance.